your comic book pit. Okay. Now the, the fourth world is like, you know, it's got like, you know, kombucha bars and tea. Artisanal uh, yeah, cereal shops. And stores. <laughs> <laughs> Real estate prices mm-hmm. are through the roof. Um, but I don't know. Are you guys ready to, to get, get rolling? Yeah, I think once we discuss the... Uh, the geopolitical landscape of apocalypse. That's a sign that we're in full comic yeah, book absolutely. pit swing. All right, so this is Comic Book Pit, episode 239. I'm Dan. And I'm Sean. I'm Jared. And uh, there is no no Scott here tonight. He is on a secret mission for the, for the Rebellion. Call sign Rogue Nun. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Duke's uh, stealing plans for the Empire's new yeah. weapon. So we're, you know, we're all praying for his uh, his swift return that he makes it uh, makes it out of the theater safely. So um, yeah, well, you know, Rogue One comes out this week. It's pretty exciting. I don't know when I'm going to get a chance to see it, but I'm looking forward to it. I'll probably check it out eventually, but I'm not hyped up for it. So, if I if I see it in the theater, fine. If I wait to video, I'm like cool with that too. I, I'm I'm more curious or excited because this is kind of the first. I don't know how to say it. Like not part of a trilogy movie. Yeah. The first yeah. peripheral. Exactly. Film. It's like. It's it's an offshoot of, you know, of the trilogy. They're kind of a spin-off. retconning this into the, you know, into the the line of movies that have already existed. So, I mean, cause, because we all know what's going to happen, you know, we all know what happens in between episode three and episode, or, you know, or, or not what happens, but you know what has come before episode four and so forth, but we don't, you know, this is more in the margins. So it'll be fun. It'll be, you know, an interesting experiment to see how they handle uh, movies like like this, you know, because they're, they're planning the, the Han Solo, uh, Solo movie. Right, right. That should be pretty cool. 
Um, did you ever see um, Hail Caesar, the Coen Brothers movie? I think it was either. Kevin I did. Sheer I did not. I remember that. Now. I remember it, but I did not see it. The actor playing Han Solo was oh, in that okay. movie. And so I got to see him a little bit in action. And he played kind of like a very uh, naive, hayseed uh, cowboy uh, picture okay. star. Um, but there was a little bit of a little bit of comedic chops there at work. Very um, subtle performance. But I could see it. I'd be interesting to see what he does as young okay. Han Solo. Yeah. And then, uh, isn't Donald Glover yeah. young, yeah, um, young Lando? Donald Glover is young Lando Calrissian. That I love Donald Glover, so I'm really interested to see him take on Lando Calrissian. Yeah, and yeah, and to see him in finally kind of a a geek ish movie because he's you know he's kind of a he's kind of like one of us. You know he's 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 into the the nerd stuff, the geek stuff, and, um, you know, I think he, because he kind of campaigned unofficially to, you know, uh, play Spider-Man, like, you know, in a, in a reboot. Yes. So, yes. And ended up, like, being the inspiration for Miles Morales in the meantime, if I understand the, yeah. Yeah, the pretty stories much. correctly. No, he did so, get a chance to play him. Uh, I think there's an animated uh, Ultimate Spider-Man. He played Miles Morales. I guess somehow they brought him over from a you're right. Oh, you're right. Universe. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The now. cartoon because they did the um, the yeah. Spider Verse on the cartoon. That cartoon. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, and that actually unintentionally segues very nicely into the new uh, Spider-Man trailer for Spider-Man: Homecoming uh, debuted this week. Yeah, God jukes. That I looks it good, really doesn't good. it? Yeah, it does. Oh, I like the the web uh, wings underneath his arms the most. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really cool. <laughs> yeah. So this is the the third modern cinematic Spider-Man that that we've gotten. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I, I mean, I've I've liked basically each version of Spider-Man so far. Um, you know, to varying degrees, but Spider-Man in the you know, Marvel Cinematic Universe, it's just like everything is right in the world now. Mm-hmm. No, it totally looks cool. It looks fun. It looks exciting. I like that Spider-Man is a kid. I like he's a little smaller yeah. in stature, a little skinnier. Um, the, the the moving eyes, just I don't know something about that just feels right. And then the the chemistry of of Tom Holland with Robert Downey Jr. and that Stark <laughs> Parker relationship really seems to work. Yeah. It looks a lot of fun. And and like that last shot of the trailer of Iron Man and Spider Man like swinging cool. together. Yeah, yeah, you're right, Dan. All <laughs> is right with the world now. And um, uh, Michael Keaton as the Vulture should be. Pretty cool. Um, and true, uh, didn't get to see much, but that one little snippet of whoever he's talking to, he's being all like sinister and mm-hmm. dastardly. I'm trying to think. I, I didn't see the RoboCop remake. I guess he was like kind of a villain in that. Someone was telling me, 
But I can't recall ever seeing like Michael Keaton play a quote unquote bad guy. Um, I'm I'm kind of racking my brains Am too. I I mean, I'm, I'm sure there there's been something. Um, the last thing I saw him in was Birdman. Um, where he was okay. I didn't see that. And he one. wasn't he wasn't a bad guy in that, but he was definitely you know that character was going through a lot of emotional turmoil. I mean, he was by the end of the movie. I mean, he okay. was fairly unhinged, but again, not in a um, super villain type of way. But he, you know, it's just a Michael Keaton. I mean, he's you know he has some range. I mean, he's not. He's not Mr. Mom anymore, you know? Um, true, true, yeah, yeah true. No, um, the last thing I saw him in was Spotlight. And he's he's not a, a bad guy by any stretch in that, but that's a very dramatic turn. And Yeah, he's no joke. D- d- dude's yeah. legit, so he's going to bring a, a, you know, a next level of performance to this. Well, so it's it's going to be good. You know, he, he surprised everybody. Um over 20 years ago when he when he was cast as Batman because at that time you know he, Michael Keaton's Batman what he's he's a comedy actor you know up up until that point he's only he had right. only done really just you know Mr. Mom and Gung Ho and things like that um but he you know he, he proved in that movie that you know he could do the the heavy stuff I mean that that Batman was a, you know, was uh, somewhat tortured and and a little unhinged yeah. himself. So, yeah, I think it's um, uh, the one thing I I noticed that I, I thought was a kind of a cool touch, you know, because the in the comics the the vulture costume. It's you know obviously it's pretty ridiculous. It's just like a skin tight green suit, but he's got that puffy collar or that feathered collar, like a vulture, like a real vulture. But it it looks like they've kind of made it yes. make a little sense in the movie because it looks like he's wearing a, a like a leather pilot jacket, like a flight jacket, and that has like a fur collar. You know how those like leather jackets sometimes have the fur collars, and it, right. and the way it's it was puffed up, it it was kind of like, oh, so they're not going to do the ridiculous feathered collar, but they are going to kind of give a little wink and a nod to it. I think. No, it looks cool. In in the, the the full helmet, like everything just looks yeah, awesome and appropriate to the aesthetic established mm-hmm. by the Marvel. Cinematic universe, the point, and it looks like it's going to fit in nicely. And I'm and looking forward I, to I, it. I didn't catch this the first time I watched it, but there's a, a a hint that the Shocker is also going to be in it. I saw that too. Is it Donald no, Glover? It's, uh, another African American actor, um, Bokeem Woodbine. Who? Oh, Bokeem Woodbine. Yes. I think Donald Glover's in it too. He was in a um, really. I think he's in it as well. Yeah, I think it. I think uh, on the Nerdist they said that he was like in a like in one shot that you see because I think it oh. ended up where shot yeah. is going to be several people and maybe Donald Glover is kind of going to be like the man behind. Oh, you know? okay. 
Oh, cool. I'll have to rewatch that. And I did not see him at all. It's it's one that was like like one frame cuts. Cool. And then um, when's that due to come out? I guess uh, is that is that a nice seven seven seventeen? Yeah. All right. Now, um, Jared, you're still watching The Walking Dead, right? Yep, I watched it through. I watched the season finale. Um, well, I, I put a tweet out there during it, and I, I struck a nerve. I mean, it wasn't like gangbusters, but for for me, it was kind of my phone <laughs> blew up as soon as I put it out there. Um, I made the comment during the show that you know um, Jeffrey Dean Morgan is turning in turned in a superb performance. I can't take anything away from his performance as Negan. It is it is some top notch uh, playing pretend going on there. But he's so good at it and Negan was like such a I don't know, omnipotent bad guy it felt like. It sort of reduced the half season to what I called one long drawn out note. I think boring. Yeah. Long drawn out. I don't know if I said boring. Well, I, I, I agree. It's, I mean, he's definitely he's definitely chewing the scenery and the dialogue or whatever. I mean, he's really having fun with that role. And I like the TV Negan way better than the comic book Negan. Like, I straight up hate that character. Not because he's a bad guy, but I just... I always thought he was a terribly written character. Um, like you said, just one note. Okay. Um, and Jeffrey Dean Morgan, you know, he definitely... <clears throat> brings more to to the character but I did find after the first couple of episodes that he was in I'm like man a little Negan goes a long way because then it just yep. it turns into yep. the, the Negan show like oh what's he going to say next what wacky random off the wall thing is he going to say or going to do the thing where he he says something wacky at, and he's like leaning back. He does that thing where he like 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 leans backwards. You know what I mean? I'm like, what is that? Uh, <laughs> he, he just, I don't know, it's just the the way he carries himself. He's got this, I can't even explain it. I can't put it into words, obviously, but the, the way he just physically carries himself is so different than any other character on that show. Um, he's very animated. Sometimes, not always, but sometimes to a fault. I, I get that. And, and for me as an audience member, it's just like, ah, I got, and I've said this before a million times, I always hate the show when it's the gang getting mm-hmm. their dicks kicked in. To use a very, you know, intellectual and high class way of saying it. Um, I always like when the gang kicks ass. And I understand, I understand that you sort of need the bad to appreciate the good. You need they got to be down, and then they get up, and then they get down, and then I, I get, the, I get all of that. Um, it just felt like I don't know. I, don't, I, I mean, I, I don't like criticizing without offering a possible solution. Like maybe, maybe a, a subplot could have run through these episodes. Maybe something to distract from this, like Negan's all powerful and it's Negan's world. Like it just hammered home so much for this part of the season. It just got like I get it. I get it. I, get, I mean, if they wanted us to be beat down too, I guess mission accomplished. And then, spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't watched the season finale yet, at the end when they all, the, the mm-hmm. team all gets back together, when when these Avengers assemble, if you will, and then like they all like find their nerve again, 
and it looks like we're going to, you know, they'll be striking back in the second half of the season. That was the most, I felt the emotional uplift we were supposed to feel yeah. there. We're like, all right, they're back together. You know, the gang's back. And all is right, and, and Daryl is there, and he gives Rick his gun back, and there's that emotional charge of them taking, what feels like them possibly taking back power, where they've been so vulnerable and powerless mm-hmm. this half of the season. It just, like I said, but just watching it, it was a little bit of a chore. And I don't know, I, don't, I think maybe if they would have just broken it up with this a little something yeah. else to cut it with. I, I read something wheels. interesting, and I, I think there's a little bit um, to this, but at the same time, I feel like it, it also just comes down to they just didn't plan out this season very well. But someone suggested in a, an art, a review of the season up to this point that the the episodes where you know like every episode would focus on a different character who's in a different part of you know you'd get these fragments of story and there was like no real clear narrative going you know there's no through line they suggested that they that was purposely done to make the viewer feel this the, the same sense of helplessness as the characters did that you know they that uh, of helplessness and uncertainty I feel like there's there's something to that, but yeah. I feel like there's also a way to to do that I and agree. not give us that Terra episode. See, I didn't mind the Terra episode. I, I was watching it, and I'm like, man, if this show was losing people before, this episode is not doing anything to help that. But um, I didn't mind it too I much. I feel like if it had, I, I, if it had I, been I enjoyed that any one. other character, it might have been better. I I just. <laughs> She's just not a compelling character. She is like, no, it, she it is a third-tier character, and, I, and the only reason they chose her was because she was off the show for like eight or nine episodes, like from last season to this season, having a baby. So this was their way of bringing her, folding her back into the show. You know, they had to give her her own episode, yeah. I guess, to remind people who she was. Um, yeah, and. So I get it, but at the same time, I just, yeah, I mean, they're, the reports of the viewers, you know, the, the ratings slipping so dramatically is not surprising. I guess we'll see what happens in the spring. I think the the shock of killing off a, uh, a main character turned a lot of people off. Yeah. I was, uh, it's funny, I was watching um, the Joe Rogan podcast this week. And he had uh, Kevin Smith on, and uh, they, Joe Rogan brought up The Walking Dead, and he, he was talking about how he was like, "I'm done with it. I'm done." He's like, and, and he's like, "That first episode, like they killed Glenn." He's like, "Like the zombies, like they don't." And he was pointing out, like, like when Rick was like just like knocking zombies down with his hand. He's like, "What the?" He's like, "What is that?" He's like, "It wasn't like." He's like, "I'm done with it. Like it's just a torture show now." I, I think there might be a sentiment of uh, the cross section of the normie viewing audience. That maybe can't that, that you know isn't um, accustomed to the same like methods of storytelling employed in comics mm-hmm. that we may be. Maybe I'm well. Maybe my head's like firmly up my ass on this one. I don't know. <laughs> Someone will tell me. I'm sure. Um, but I, I think the the typical TV show viewing audience, there's certain expectations to be met, and I think. 
I mean, long time killing off a long time fan favorite character, and just the pacing of it. Um, I think when you when someone's so gnarly as Negan, you kind of want to see that come up, and I think there might be a little more demand for the satisfaction factor, mm-hmm. a, little, a little more immediacy desired with that. No, there's th- there's definitely know. something to that, and I out, I think the other problem is the same problem that the the comic has in that. What are we? We're in the seventh season now, or is it the sixth season? Either way, yeah. yeah so we're this is the seventh. We're seven seasons in, and not a whole lot has changed since season one. I mean, it's still, and it, it's still a battle for survival, but it's just a group of characters moving from one location to the next, and you know they they run into. Another group of survivors. Are they good or are they bad? You know, oh, they're they're good. Now they're our friends. And then there's another group of survivors. Oh, they're bad. We have to fight them. So, yeah, the the show and the comic are, you know, the, they they suffer from that. Where do we go from here? I mean, there's um, anyway. Well, I, I'll just. Uh, I mean, we can we can move on. But basically, you know the. The, the show is going to start getting stagnant if they don't find a way to evolve it. Now, whether or not they eventually do a time jump like they did in the comics, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. It was the same thing with the comics. I don't know what the answer is. Um, but the... Because now, like, if you look at the comics, um, they, they had their war with the Saviors, a couple, you know, a year or two ago, it was you know, and they they won, and there's a new status quo. Now they're having another war with the group known as the Whisperers. So, you know, where, yeah, what's the end game for this property? Right, and and you know, while a comic book can get away with just sort of looping itself like that ad infinitum, a TV show can't get away with that. A TV show, I mean, seven seasons for a TV show is pretty good. I mean, I don't think anybody expects The Walking Dead to challenge no, like can't. The Simpsons or like Frasier in longevity. So at some point in time, it will end. So at some point in time, and I imagine this is seven, so they're going, next season will be season eight <laughs> based on math. And yeah, I mean, you, there has to be. For TV, and there needs to be an end game in sight, like you were saying, Dan. So they're going to have to figure out, you know, like the TV show often deviated from what the comic book did. Once again, they're going to have to deviate and figure out what the uh, the period is at the end of this. Sentence. Yeah, I mean, I would have my two cents on this one would be just sort of just like a fade out ending. Like you don't have to give it definitive, like, and they all die, just like. The adventures keep going on, but our time with the, the gang ends. I don't know. That's yeah, because I mean, the, the the comic can go for 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 another for forever if if they wanted to. Um, yeah, the show yeah. cannot because you know the actors are going to age, people age, people want more money. People I mean, there's age. like a million yeah. different reasons why TV shows don't last forever. They get other jobs in the case of the right, actors yes. who play Sasha. Yeah. 
who I don't know if you saw this, was yeah, just cast which is, as the lead on the new Star Trek. That's pretty cool. I'm, I'm, I'm excited for that now because I, I think she's a great actress. Um, and it'll be interesting to see her in a different, you know, a different side to her. Yeah, I mean, the, yeah. they, I feel like somewhere, maybe in a, like a locked room or it's in a safety deposit box, or safe deposit box, Kirkman has written down how the show is going to end. And because it, that, that conversation ha- it, it had to have happened at some point between him and the the showrunners or or AM, someone at AMC because you know as much as they would like to keep raking in that Walking Dead money, the train's going to come to an end within the next few years. And yeah, in, in, right. you don't want to see it get canceled. I mean, uh, you it, it should they, be given yeah. the opportunity to end on its own terms. But at some point in time, it is. That doesn't mean it gets to go to like season eighteen, and like they, the mm-hmm. cast just keeps rolling over, and Andrew Lincoln is <laughs> sixty-five years old or whatever. I mean, it's just. Well, I would say they should get the, the chance to write their own ending. Mm-hmm. Better figure it out. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we pretty much we we talked that one out pretty good. Yeah, much like The Walking Dead itself, <laughs> we just went around in circles. And we still and, don't have uh, an answer. Yeah, and we didn't get anywhere. Okay, so comics. <laughs> Talking comics. I'd go first. I have a um, kind of a quick, a quick one. I just read uh, last week's new Nova number one from Marvel, and. Let me see who's on this team. I know the the artist is Ramon Perez, who I quite like, and the yes, writer so. is well. It's at, written by well. Ramon Perez is also one of the writers, but um, Jeff Loveness, who I don't, I don't think I know. Um, I saw the last name, and at first I thought I saw Loveness, and in my mind I thought Hopeless because there's Dennis Hopeless. This is Loveness, Jeff Loveness. Um, so yeah, so uh, New Nova. Um, I was I was reading the the previous volumes of Nova with the, the new Teenage Nova, um, Sam Alexander, and uh, those have been a lot of fun. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever read those, but they're just fun comics that it's like. Kind of the best parts of like Ultimate Spider-Man or like a teenage character. Um, you know they, you know he's dealing with being a teenager and being a superhero and having a you know a mom and a dad and a baby sister and you know he's dealing dealing with all these things. And um, you know not only is he a superhero but he's a cosmic superhero, which means he's out in space dealing with. Aliens and cosmic threats and ego, the living planet, um, who he is uh, sort of teamed up with in this first episode or first episode, first issue. Um, so it's just you know, the Nova books have always have for the past couple of years have been a lot of fun. Um, and Nova, for some reason, I, I never read like the original Nova from the seventies. I, I really didn't get to know Nova until he was part of the New Warriors in the in the 90s. But 
he um, starting there he kind of grew to be just a, a favorite character and then I read uh, Nova when it came out in the um, following the Annihilation event and that was just an amazing run of of comics the um, Abnett and Lanning Nova uh, book was just some of the most fun comics I've read and just Nova was just great and then they they killed Nova at some point and now he's back uh, well I should say the the Richard Ryder Nova you got to be specific because there's Nova's like Green Lantern you know there yeah. are thousands of Green Lanterns well there are thousands of Novas. Novas are like, you know, the space cops in the Marvel Universe. Um, so, yes, Richard Ryder is back, and um, we don't know how he got back. He died in this alternate universe called the Cancerverse, uh, where it was, you know, these sick, twisted, distorted versions of the characters we knew. Um, and I think he and Quasar sacrificed themselves to stop Thanos. I think it was there was a event, not really a big event, but it was like a mini series a few years back called the Thanos Imperative, and they they sacrificed themselves to stop Thanos at that time, which meant you know lose, um, sacrificing their lives in the Cancerverse. Well. He's back from the Cancerverse, but it looks like he brought he may have brought some of the Cancerverse back with him because he's not quite the same. He's kind of seeing things, and when he puts the helmet on and flies around, he kind of has this. He's like this uh, episode, and he passes out, and he's falling to Earth, and that's how the ep- the issue ends. But you also see a good bit of Sam Alexander in this issue as well um, doing his thing, being Nova out in space and then coming back home and being a kid and being just like a normal awkward teenager you know, he's not this super cool awesome kid, he's you know, he's kind of a dork Um, but he's also Nova you know, so there's that, it's kind of like the the Peter Parker Spider-Man thing he can do all these amazing things but he's still a kid he's still expected to be a kid and um, ah, just a lot of fun, you know. It was a it was a good first issue. It's a good jumping on point. Like you don't have to know um, all the history of Nova, uh, you know, either Richard Ryder or Sam Alexander. Everything you know, Marvel does those great uh, recaps on their first page. So that's pretty much all you need to know. Whatever they have written there. Just read it, and you're good to go. Yeah, it's a good. It, it, cool. It, it's a it's cool, a good cool. one it, for. It it really is a good all ages book. Like if you know for adults, teenagers. I mean, it's good. Yeah, good for anybody. Cool. Right on. I um, I have a book I want to talk about. I teased it on the last episode. It was a story about the importance of uh. I guess A being observant and 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 B uh, maybe yeah. hide in your guest stars in a particular book. 
Um, I read Superman Annual 1, and when I... It was on my pool list, so I didn't pick it off the shelf. I walked into the shop, they just handed it right to me. I grabbed it in my, my left hand, which is important for this story, because if you look at the particular cover... When I grabbed the book, the guest star of the issue is front and center on the cover. There's really no excuse from my part for not knowing this character was going to be in the book. Um, so I grabbed it, put it in my left hand, and my hand and my thumb obscured who the get the, the, the that character. And so I just saw a picture of Superman just like I don't know being resistant against something. Tucked it under my arm and went back, you know, and just did my shopping. And then when I got home. Same thing, just picked it up the same way, laid down on the couch and started reading it. And the story is takes place in uh, Hamilton County, which I've noticed lately in Superman books, they're real big on telling us it's 300 miles north of Metropolis. Um, and Clark Kent is like looking over this farm and wondering, you know, why all, he's not able to grow any crops like his old man, and he's noticing that everything around the area is kind of in an odd drought. So he takes off a Superman to inspect the area, and that's re- and he notices that it is a drought. It's really weird, and it sort of defies expectations. And that's when uh, slowly they tease up to this double-page spread, revealing the guest star of the issue is Swamp Thing. And I was like, "Oh crap! This is <laughs> Superman and Swamp Thing. This is going to be awesome!" Like I was, I got a thrill out of this reveal that should have I should have known from the cover because the character my hand was obscuring clear as day, is Swamp Thing. So there's really no <laughs> excuse for me to, to not know this. But what I did get out of it is why I was like, maybe you don't want to put that stuff on the cover, maybe you can hold that back, is that thrill I got out of the reveal of not knowing Swamp Thing was in this issue and turning the page, and there's Swamp Thing, all you know, big as life. It added an extra level of enjoyment to the story for me that I don't think I would have gotten knowing going in. Like, okay, and then Swamp Thing shows up at some point. I probably would have just, like, picked up on it right away. It would have been rather predictable. So that's my that's, – that was, like, my big takeaway. And that's one thing I really stuck with. I was like, wow, like, I didn't know he was in this. And it sort of just filled me with that, like, youthful enthusiasm for the story. Because I do enjoy some Swamp Thing. I do enjoy Superman and seeing them together – they're two very different characters, so when they interact, it's very exciting to read. And this particular revolved around, like, this Superman is, like, from a different Earth or whatever. And so Swamp Thing was there on behalf of, like, the, as the, you know, the representative of the Green or whatever. And it was and pretty much the drought was caused by this Superman, who vibrates at a different frequency on this other Earth, was drawing um, too much solar energy that it was having an effect on the environment around him. That's what caused this drought. And the one thing, the one critique I did have was, according to the Swamp Thing's analysis of Superman, was that the reason he was drawing too much solar energy was he hadn't accepted his place on this new world and was pining for his old world, which of all the stories I've read of this version of Superman really wasn't put out there. Like, I didn't know this. Like, I'm like, wow, bro, I didn't know you were pining for home, Clark, because all these other books I've read of you have been about, um, you know, wanting to fit in and, like, accept your place in this world. And 
I guess at first there wasn't. He wanted to hang back, but there was no pining. I mean, like, when he finally put the suit on with a Superman, it was after the other one died. Like, he sort of just liked hanging back and being in the background, but I never picked up on the whole, you know, missing out on the world he came from and, like, a desire to go yeah. back or anything like that. That was intimated in this story. You know, and then him and Swamp think they have the fight and they figure it out, and they both, and, you know, Superman, I guess, comes to his realization and they fix things. Beautiful ep- issue, uh, Drawn by uh, Jorge Jimenez, who will be doing the Super Sun series coming out in the spring, which features like Damien and John Kent, the new Superboy. So uh, great stuff there. I mean, it's it's to say it's uh, Tomasi and Gleason that wrote it, which is why I was surprised that this element of Superman I didn't pick up on because they write Superman, and I really didn't notice that that was such a thing. And just the impact that they gave that aspect of Clark's personality that he wasn't jiving with the new world I didn't really pick up mm-hmm. on it in the other books and that was the only thing that was like that's odd but other than that I mean it did not take away from my enjoyment I loved it it's, it was really good stuff and uh, like I said the, the main thing was what I discussed earlier that the reveal of Swamp Thing like may, maybe don't yeah. put your guest star on the cover may, let that be a surprise that, it adds that, another level to the enjoyment. Now that, I, now that you mention it, now that I think about it, it is interesting that they added a character element like that into an annual because I think I think of annuals these days and they're not something that everyone automatically picks up anymore. And, and it feels like that's an important uh, mm-hmm. an important element that if you're going to add that to your character that you would add that as part of the main the main book, the main story. So I wonder if they're somehow going to... I don't know if it, if they gave any indication in the the annual if they were going to, like, fold that over into the into the, the main book. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good point. And um, cause since then, the next issue of Superman did come out, and it really wasn't touched upon. And that issue, yes. Dan, featured our favorite uh, Frankenstein in it. Um, it was fun, but it, this was more of just a, like just a, a slobber knocker episode. Just Superman fighting Frankenstein. And just action, action, action. So they didn't have a chance to really examine the character. There was no quiet moments for Clark to, uh, discuss what he may have learned or whatever. But who knows? We'll, uh, see if coming up, if that is something that they hit back on to reinforce or if that was just, <laughs> we just didn't pick up on a subtext that had been yeah, in the whole Yeah, that's time. definitely a, a very and interesting kind off, of so. a unique element to add to the character. Yeah, I mean, there is the mystery behind where exactly this Superman came from. Like, if we all thought he was the pre-Flashpoint Earth, but now, you know, in Rebirth we found out that this is that same Earth, just tweaked by Dr. Manhattan. So who exactly is this Superman? Who exactly was the one that died, who's the Clark Kent running around in action comics. There is that mystery there, so I don't know if it... I mean, they hinted at that stuff, but it didn't just didn't feel the same. You know, it wasn't like, you're wondering what this mystery is, and so you're sucking too much sun power. It wasn't that. It was like, you're not you know, down with this new world you live in, and you're sucking too much sun power. I don't know. It, it, it's trivial, and um, ultimately... But it, it was actually, it was still a really cool issue, and then just the surprise of Swamp thing, and just seeing 
<laughs> make Swamp Thing do his Swamp Thing. <laughs> uh, with Superman was a lot of fun. And uh, I do sort of like those those uh, unexpected team-ups. Yeah, that's definitely not... Or pairings, like the, I guess I mean, is the, the better word. Not the first character that comes to mind when you think who you're gonna you know who you're gonna put together with Superman. Yeah, and then in the next issue to get mm-hmm. Frankenstein, it, so like that train just keeps moving. And again, like Superman, I know I'm I've said this a million times since it's come out. It's probably one of my favorite books, and like it's the book I read first. Yeah, I mean, out that week, you know, off the pile that week. You you got me reading it. It is the that one that I'm looking forward to the most. You know, it doesn't happen too often where I I, I mean I, I as far as reading Superman, I just you know I really haven't read Superman. Consistently in twenty years, he's one of those books that I'll pick up a yeah. few issues of and then drop off. Um, but ever since you you know you recommended that that uh, that single issue story a few months ago where they were at the like the state fair, um, I yes. read it and I'm like, yep, I'm in. Yeah. So. I think that's going to be one of those single issues that people will look back on and be like, holy shit. Like, that, that was a powerful issue of Superman. I think in, in, it'll probably be one of those issues that gets placed up there. Well, the what's, what's great of, is like, about that story, stories. It's, it's something that you could hand to anybody and say, read this. It's a Superman comic, but read it. Yeah. It gives you, yeah. It gives you everything you need to know, you know, in it. Like, there's no nothing you need to read to prepare for it. Or it tells you everything yep. you need to know to appreciate that particular story. And that's just quality craftsmanship as far as storytelling goes. All right. Cool. Um, let's see. I um, The other book I was going to talk tonight was Motor Crush, number one. And this is from Image. And it's, this is, and it's done by the... Um, the uh, team Batgirl from the uh, when they kind of rebranded or reimagined Batgirl a couple years ago, the uh, the Batgirl of Burnside, or the you know the kind of the hipster Batgirl, but it's uh, the team of uh, Babstar, Cameron Stewart, and uh, Brendan Fletcher. So this is their you know they're 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 taking their uh, the success and popularity they, they found on the Batgirl book, and they're, you know, they they took it over to a creator-owned book on in, uh, for Image, and it's a it's a future it's a future story, and I guess the the high concept would be racing motorcycles on drugs, not not the not the racers themselves, not the not the riders, but the motorcycles themselves. On, on drugs, on like performance enhancing drugs. Uh, in this near future, where pretty much the most popular sport is this motorcycle grand prix, and the there's a an illegal drug called crush, and it's this purple liquid that makes bikes operate better and faster, but somehow, and it's not explained, and I don't know how you could explain it. But it, it creates an addiction in the machine, requiring regular doses of this drug or this liquid to keep it functioning functioning at a high level. So, again, it's not how it works is not explained at all. But it focuses on uh, 
the main character, Domino Swift, and she's this awesome uh, motorcycle racer. And following her, she's kind of like an up-and-comer, and it's it's like a cross between Fast and the Furious and Speed Racer, and a little bit of you guys remember Road Rash, the Sega video game, Road Rash. Yeah. It's like that because there's <laughs> oh yeah 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 while she is a a racer on this racing circuit like a you know it's the equivalent of like NASCAR where she's a she's a known person on the side she participates in these underground street races and she in kind of a disguise where she just she wears a helmet all the time so that people don't recognize her. And the the prize is crush. So she's she's racing illegally to score more crush. And these races are like no holds barred. You know, that's like she's carrying around a a, uh, a bat with nails sticking out of it, and there's people with chains and with guns, and they're all it's like these motorcycle gangs. Um, you know, they each have like one really good racer that races. And there's there's some more stuff going on here. Like her um, her father is you know is this former uh, famous racer who has like a garage now, but it's you know basically hinges on her success because it's on the verge of bankruptcy. But she's trying to help him save it by racing and. You know, so there's a lot of there's all this stuff going on in this first issue. And it was it was a pretty decent first issue. Um, there are a couple things. Uh, the the art I was I was torn on. I was kind of on the fence because I love Babs Tar. I, I loved her take on on Batgirl and her writing partners. I mean, I, I followed Batgirl all the way like that entire run, and it was really a lot of fun. And a lot of that again was. Um, because of her art style, she she started strong on Batgirl. As as the issues went on, you could see where she started to cut some corners, or where maybe a panel you could see like the sketchy lines, but they were colored over. You know, so there were it looked like it, it, you could see where she started to cut corners. There were uh, this. It was almost like there were two different art styles at some at different points in this book, where it went from being kind of sketchy in the beginning to towards the end being a little bit more, being a little tighter and looking a little more finished. Um, which is weird. You would think it would be the opposite way. You know, you would think it would start out really tight and maybe get looser towards the end of the book, thinking like. She's trying to finish the book up and maybe had to cut some corners or do a little bit more loose sketches and uh, finish it with some color and some effects. You know, her her art just went back and forth between, between being very loose and very tight. The only thing that was consistent uh, were the colors. The, the colors were just gorgeous in this, and it... It really, uh, I mean, the, the the art itself is already very, very kinetic. I mean, whether it's loose or tight, 
her art has this very kinetic feel to it, like things are always in motion, and the the street racing is done really well, and and the, and the colors definitely add to that. Um, the only thing, <laughs> the thing, I, and this is just in general for any kind of like science fiction book or things that take place in the quote unquote near future is when they 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 start dropping in slang slang that you're like they assume you're gonna you're gonna know and it doesn't make any sense to you or it kind of sometimes it just takes me out of it when when sci-fi books start making up their own language or their own words and just throw it in there it's like you don't have to do that all the time you know you can do it once in a while but you know, just sometimes we just don't know what you mean. <laughs> it's like just just use just use the words we've been using for all for uh-huh. hundreds and hundreds of years. Just use your words. You don't really have to make up all kinds of new words. You can make up some if you want, maybe to add a little flavor to it. But like like you know, take Battlestar Galactica for for example, the show. They introduced frack. That's all they needed to do. It worked perfectly. It was the the perfect way to do that. That was, you know, they didn't have ten different words that meant ten different things. That's it. That's that's my only that's my only beef with with this book and books like it, where it's supposed to be. It's our future, but now all of a sudden, because it's in the future and things have changed, everyone's using new words. So. And, I, and and sure, I mean, you know, we currently have a have a society where, you know, we have the word bay and, you know, selfie. I mean, you know, these are words that did not exist 10 or 20 years ago. I, I guess that's how it happens. I, I don't know. Well, speaking of the future, I read a book, too, the other week. Um, I read a book called... The Longest Day of the Future from Fanographics Books. It's by a French um, cartoonist named Lucas uh, Varela. And when I say red, I it's, you have to put that in, in air quotes because this particular comic has no words. It is a huh. silent comic told purely through the language of cartooning. Um, it is... A, it, yeah, Sean, I reckon you... I, I, anybody who likes cartooning would love this book, Sean. You probably would get an extra thrill out of it. It is the cartooning is what like drew me in. It's what caught my eye. Um, I was down at Copacetic Comics and I saw it there. And Bill was like, "Oh yeah, that book." He's like, "It's silent." He's like, "It's really good." And I was like, "All right, cool." Like, I'm I was in by the art, but you just sold me even further. You give me a breakdown of what it's about. It takes place in the future in this like giant like mega city. It's basically broken down into two factions. It's basically two corporate entities. Like people are citizens. Like think Coke and Pepsi. You know, either your your Coke, like you you dress in like the paraphernalia of the company. The mascot is their like I don't want to say god, but it's it's like the, the mascot is like their their leader. You know, not, not their, their leader, but their their icon. Um, 
these corporate mascots, and they they go they work in cube farms. They have you know humdrum lives. It's it's a little you know totalitarian, I guess, or authoritarian or whatever. It, it it's a little bleak, um, but everything is just ruled by either your this brand or the other brand. Like those are the two camps in this city. They war with one another. Um, that's just how their lives are ruled. It's like capitalism run amok, where there's just two major brands, and that's how everyone's lives are d- defined. Uh, and it tells the story of this one guy who um, is charged with a mission of basically going into the opposing camp to uh, basically assassinate their leader. Because um, they find this technology, like an alien crash lands in this world, and they find this technology, and they want to use that to assassinate the other leader. And so he's, like, forced into this, and it follows him. And then the other side, the other camp, there's this um, scientist who creates this, like, robot for, like, a robot fighting, like, competition. But this robot, it doesn't want to fight. Like, it has its own, like, personality. And so the, the robot, they end up like reprogramming him, and they send him with charging. They send him into the other camp to kill like their leader, and he just follows their two tails, and they sort of interweave at points. But it is just gorgeous, gorgeous cartooning, and it doesn't need words. That's what was amazing. Like you can follow this thing, and you understand the motivations, the feelings, the re- everything, just based on the strength of the artwork. And the way the characters act, and just like this, and and truly the language of cartooning is employed here to just give you everything you need. Like there are some words in the effect of like sound effects. There's like a little robot that makes noise, and there's words there for the sound effects. And I think there's a few times where there's like word balloons, but there's images inside the word balloons. Um, yeah, there's no dialogue or captions or anything. It, it was really great. Um, yeah, so Sean, you probably would dig it too, just being a cartoonist yourself, and I think you would appreciate it. But I mean, it, it was—I can't say enough good things about it. It took me—it's like 112, 120 pages. It took me like two days to read it because I didn't—you could have just like breezed through it, but I really wanted to take my time and just study the artwork. And just study the cartooning, and it's a fan of graphics product, so the paper is a little higher quality. the The print job, he has a little something extra to it as well. The way the the ink just sits on the paper, you know. This, it, it really, I'm waxing poetic here over a book, but um, it was some good stuff. <laughs> At the end of the day, it was like it was a pleasant surprise, and uh, I really recommend that one. All right. Cool. And the long day of the future from Fanographics. Cool. Well, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, it's really good, dude. All right. Well, um, we have anything else to talk about? I, I know I don't. I think I'm all talked out. John Atkins. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> I I had good. some right. stuff. Well, thanks for stopping by, Sean. Hey, no problem. I was in the neighborhood. I don't know. I had some books, and I was actually <laughs> reading a few, and then it was just like, no, I don't have anything. So. All right. Well, if there's nothing else, then we can, uh, yeah. we can close this one out. So this has been episode 239 of Comic Book Fit, and we'll see you next time.